Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. Saving Hope is another of Canadian television's success stories. Blending high concept of realistic medical procedural, Saving Hope follows the lives of a group of medical professionals working in the high-pressure world of a large hospital. I'm your host, Cal Coons, and tonight our guests are co-showrunners Morwen Brebner and Adam Peddle. They'll let us in on the secrets of how they and their writing staff juggle so many elements en route to delivering a ratings winner. Can you maybe, Morwen, tell us what's your background, where'd you get your start, and how'd you come to be running a co-showrunner on, uh, on uh, Saving Hope? Um, I, uh, I actually began as a playwright, um, as did Adam. Um, so I went to theater school twice. You might wanna, that's a good I tip. I went twice, too. Between yeah. us, we've gone... Four times. So that's a tip for everyone. Um, and uh, so I was a playwright for a long time, and I actually started writing on The Eleventh Hour, um, which was run by Semi Chalice, who now works on Mad Men. And I started as an outside writer on that show. And uh, then uh, I was offered a chance at, at one point to, uh, uh, story, uh, to be story coordinator, but I had a feeling I would not be good at it, which is probably true. And uh, then I worked with Ken Finkelman, uh, and Ellen Vanstone on a show called uh, At the Hotel, the least popular of Ken Finkelman shows. And, uh, and then um, I, uh, uh, I co-created uh, Rookie Blue. And then um, I, ended up working on, uh, I ended up working on Saving Hope. Um, Saving Hope was originally created by Malcolm McCreary, the great Malcolm McCreary. Uh, and I came onto the show later when I was pregnant and uh, I rewrote the pilot and I became a, a, a creator of the show as well. And, uh, and then the pilot got picked up and then I very quickly had to figure out uh, what it, how it was going to be as a series. And the show, as people will see when we watch it, is a, it's a strange show. And uh, uh, first, <laughs> first season, um, I, I, I believe so much, like Adam and I have talked about this, I believe very much in having a partner. I know that the legend of the, of the showrunner, which is not my favorite term, is about the solitary genius having their feelings and their, their, their control. And, but I feel like it's a lot, it's just a crazy amount of thinking and work and the, that isolation is not a great uh, resource. So, um, so before we go to, yeah. to Adam for his uh, story, w uh, maybe you could expand on that, uh, um, on your showrunner uh, comment. Uh, wh why don't you like the term? Um, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those terms, where I, I mean, it's like barista. Like, I, I, I feel like it's a... <laughs> It's a word, you know, and... Uh, uh, I, I hate it when people call me a barista. Do you? Yeah, yeah I know. It's insulting. I'm a coffee maker. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. I, that was more of a It's like my boobie never knows what I do. If you say you're the showrunner, you're, you're answer your boobie. They don't know what that... Like, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't sound really like any... Yeah, if you like say you're the, I'm the head writer of a television show, people know what you do. Right, right. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I forget the second part of your question. Oh, that was that was really pretty much it. Uh, the second part was, what's Adam do? <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, yeah. Tell me, what's your story, Adam? Um, yeah. Well, I, I was also a playwright, um, and uh, Alana Frank, who's the, the executive producer of Saving Hope and also Rookie Blue, came to see a play of mine and called me. It was like one of those phone calls that, as a young playwright, you know, I was I, I, I had had some success, but it's it's a struggle, you know, to kind of pay the bills and. She she left a message saying I want you to write for for a television show for me because I liked your play and so I wrote a, a show called Clean which was uh, you know was my first foray in, into television I kind of grew up 
watching TV, and I didn't grow up going to the theater, so when I started writing TV, it felt like a, a good and, and the right place to be. But I, I wrote a show called Clean, which was an original um, pilot about rehab. It was kind of a comedy set in a rehab center um, that I that was made. The, the pilot was shot, and the series wasn't ordered, so that was my first kind of... Um, job and I would have been taken off of the show and they would have brought someone in to, to run the show because I had no experience. And so instead, Alana gave me a job on Rookie Blue, I think is the consolation prize. Um, and and in, in a great kind of, I think it really, you know, I, I loved the show, but I think it was a good progression for me because I then staffed, I, I then worked as a staff writer for five years um, until becoming Morwin's partner last year on, on Saving Hope. I was a, a senior staff writer on the first season when Aaron Martin co-ran the show with Morwin and learned a ton from him because he'd just come off of being Erica and him and Morwin had a great, um, they ran a great room and, and then I kind of stepped in for second season. Stepped up. So, so is, um, both having come from a pl playwright background and maybe some of, some of our audience or, or people listening, um, are, are also playwrights looking to come across into television? Um, how did you find the the, the transition? Did, was it was it um, simple or or was it uh, uh, more challenging than you might have thought? How did you how did you negotiate that uh, that move from from the stage to the screen? I mean, for me, it was very gradual, um, and uh, I also Alana also I got a phone call from Alana as well, and that's how I ended up mm -hmm. uh, in television. I mean. It's the difference between solitude and then being in something that's collaborative. You know, as a playwright, you don't really get notes, which is really a, an interesting thing to learn how to deal with. And um, it, they're very, it's a very different kind of storytelling. You know, like uh, playwriting is more forgiving of digression. Television is not forgiving of digression. And you have to, I think writing for television, screenwriting is, is, a, is a real muscle, you know, and... Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a different form, you know? But writing scenes for actors, one of the great things about being a playwright that we both believe a lot, I think, is, is the one thing you do that people who come up through screenwriting don't do as much is, deal, is, is work with actors as, as collaborators a lot, a lot, a lot. So you learn a lot about writing scenes for actors, about how actors work. And it's a, it's a, it's a great help to come from that background. Um, and you usually marry actors. And we, usually we, marry we're both actors. married actors, so yeah. it, it helps too. Yeah, and, and, and is that your observation as well, Adam? It is, yeah, it, it really is. And I, I find too that the, for me, the pace of um, how, how fast things happen, you know, it, you know, you can sit by yourself and, and work on a play for a year or two years, and in production, the speed of how fast you're how fast you're writing and um and also the the like Morin said the muscle of just writing every day um and going home at night and writing when you get home at night you know um in, in playwriting i it was it was me and i it was you know i, I had a couple commissions but it was a it was a slower burn than television production it, a much slower burn like i as a playwright i would write a play every two years and my play would be 60 pages long. Wow. Yeah, and now, you know, it's 60 pages a week. It's really, really different. Yeah. But I, I do think, sorry to jump in, but I do think that the that still for me, playwriting is, you know, to, to hold an audience's attention with two human beings on a stage with a park bench or, a, or no 
like to me it it still is uh, uh, the dramatic like a, a dramatic the form of dramatic writing that is like I have so much respect for people that do it and people that can do it well because I feel like it's it's like you know you have nothing but actors and your dialogue and that and that story and so I, I feel like it's a great training ground for any kind of dramatic writing. Well, it's interesting. It actually is a good place to sort of turn right towards the show, towards Saving Hope, because, you know, um, uh, somebody once said to me that, you know, the thing about hospital shows is that you can count on every second someone's life is being altered forever by what's going on in that hospital and how you pick and choose that. So you've got this uh, incredible, rich milieu from which to pick those moments, the two the two people on the park bench, and 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 and, and translate that into the um, into the uh, into the world. So so maybe maybe we should talk about taking, you know, bringing uh, saving hope, like where where its origins lay, and 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 how it uh, how it came to to come to the screen. I, uh, maybe you could start on that, Morwen. Well, in its first iteration, saving hope was actually about um, hospital, about financing, about money, about hospital fundraising. And, uh, and when I came to the project, I think you know, the most important thing for anything you work on, it doesn't matter what the genre is, is that you find something in you that connects to the material deeply and that you really believe in. And I, I don't think you can write anything from a cynical place. And, and when I started working on Saving Hope, I just got married and I was pregnant with twins. And so when I was working on it, I was thinking a lot about love and I was thinking a lot about um, life and um, and then as I was working on the pilot, um, I had my kids, you know, it got picked up, it progressed. And I'd always had an interest in spirituality, um, but not in a way that I actually was spiritual in a weird way. And, uh, um, but I'd always felt, you know, we're trapped in this, these, these bodies that we have, this corporeal reality. And in a hospital, you're your most corporeal that you're ever going to be, right? But you hope there's more. You hope there's something else that can give you something aside from just a doctor and, you know, some needles and some, some sutures. And, uh, uh, and as I tried to figure out what the show was about, I thought the show really is, it's a romantic show. It's about love. You know, the medicine of the show is very real because I feel like that's the, that's weirdly the, the world, the world that we live in, it, we're, we're part of, that's part of our, our reality, our bodies, you know, like that's, you can't do anything when you get sick. And then the ghost part of the show is is the part is the the longing that we all have to to transcend and that to be transcended by love, you know. And that sounds really airy fairy, but um, the show is also funny, you know. And I, I don't know, it's so it's such a funny thing to talk about. But I started to feel inside the show, and and little things started to matter to me too, you know. That Alex, the character in the show, be from a working class background, became important to me, you know, like. As the world fills out, you start to realize that you have to put yourself into things. Right. Now, just before we go on further, has everybody seen Saving Hope? Okay. okay. Everybody has? Anybody hasn't? Okay, so everybody knows the concept. I, 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 it might be good for just people listening to the podcast. Could you give a, a um, you know, 15-second kind of synopsis of what Saving Hope is in case they haven't seen it? Um, in the first season, Saving Hope was a, a medical show where the chief of surgery is in a coma. And in the second season, he woke up. And during all of this, he, uh, he sees ghosts. Right. But our lead is really his fiance. And, and, and then, um, uh, um, Adam, so, so at what point did, did you, were you on first season as well then? Yeah, I was. 
I yeah. was uh, yeah, a writer. I was a staff writer on and first season, and I wrote two and a half episodes. Right. Up to the 13th. And, and, and were you in the room as it was being broken and bef before you went to air, or did you join? Yeah, no, from yeah. the beginning. So, so let's, uh, I think it was interesting you were saying, so, so th there's an idea out there, it's a script, it's about the financial side of a hospital, and for some reason it had to change um, and became something different, evolved into something else. Um, what happened there? Um, uh, you know, like... Was it was it just a just a, an evolution of what the networks needed, or what uh, what you as writers felt more strongly attached to? How did how did that work? Well, I mean, we shot a pilot before we went to series. We didn't go straight to series, so you know. But we shot a pilot, and in the pilot, it's sort of the origin story. And Alex and Charlie are going to get married. Charlie goes into a coma, and at the end of it. That's the situation we're in. And then, really, when we got into the room in the first season, and we had very, very little time, um, we had, like, two months before we started shooting. So Aaron and I took two weeks before he went to Africa, where, gallingly, I called him. Um, and uh, we talked about what we thought could happen. And elements, you know, I tried to, we tried to arc out, sort of, we had 13, only 13 episodes the first season, what sort of, what major points would be, you know? And... Then the room came in, and the great thing about having a room is that suddenly you, everybody, everybody has, has special qualities that they bring that you would never think about to, to the world and suggests aspects of the world, and then you refine. And so I, I feel like it's weird. that To me, it felt like it grew very organically. We did have, I think, more than you would usually have because we had so little time. Like Aaron and Morwen had, you know, we had pieces of, we had we had synopses of episodes. We had you had titles for episodes. You know, it, it okay. stuff changed, but we did have more. I think leads springing into it than than you usually have. We, I mean, we had so little time. You know, in the first season, we did thirteen episodes. We had a one week hiatus. This season, last season, we did eighteen episodes, and we had a one week hiatus mm -hmm. after we started prepping episode fourteen. Wow. And so in those situations, I feel like you have to trust your instincts on things. And it gets hairy because sometimes uh, people don't, you know, your instincts don't sound good. Like on season one, um, I knew I wanted to have, we, we, we knew we wanted to have a psychic in the show. My father was a psychic. And I thought, you know, it's a good, you want to have a psychic. You need someone who can communicate with the dead to prove something. And, uh, and that was an idea that we had such a hard time getting across to the network, you know. And the network's been very supportive, but it was a really, really hard sell. And it was... Uh, probably everyone's favorite episode of the first season. Yeah, and I find more when, like, you know, ha having created the show and it, it having come out of her brain, like, that there are things that Morwen, like, feels that, like, sh and will say this is the show and this will be the, what's special about this episode and and fights very smartly for, you know, not that, I mean, the network is supportive and, you know, but 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 there are things that in every episode would have been cut were it not for Mormon going, I know that this is the show that, you know, and it may be quirky or maybe, what's the, they always call us? Quirky, quirky. or flaky? They call flaky. us quirky. Quirky and flaky. That's a kiss of death. <laughs> if you were ever writing a one-pager, do not use the, don't word, use quirky. the word quirky. Don't or don't ever. call a character quirky. No, never. No. If you say quirky, you're dead. But, but let, me, let me ask you this. In your minds, you were making a show about love and, and, and the relationships and all this sort of stuff. Um, now... Um, there's a ghost story in it. 
Yes. And there's medical mysteries sort of in it, uh, sometimes more, more or less. But it seems, it seems like, uh, now, did everybody think they were making a love story or did your broadcast partners some, sort of feel maybe we're, you know, the, the engine that's running this thing is a ghost? Uh? No, the ghost actually is all sea story. Like if you watch the show, it expands periodically. But, you know, we try both seasons and next season we will too. The, the ghosts are always, ex- they can always be explained by something medical that's happening with Charlie. And it doesn't mean they're not real. It does mean they're real. But we try not to get too, like, flyé with it, you know, because the medicine is real, and so we want things to feel like they're part of the same universe. Like, I I do think in a TV show, things have to be one thing. So we've tried to make the disparate elements, in a way, one thing, you know. Um, And I think, actually, the network, you know, the procedural part of the show, the, you know, the stories that resolve in the episode are, are important, I think, to the network. But in first season, it was the spine of the show was Charlie and Alex and Will He Wake Up, and and I think really smartly the the you know the loss of the potential loss of their relationship was is what you know is so is I think the greatest like it, um, the greatest loss, and also it's like what what as as a writer for for me it was what I could hang all of the stories on, and it was such a strong spine and there was such a strong super objective for for both characters that uh you know and it was and it was quite serialized first season and we shifted quite profoundly in second season at the beginning of the second season and then it shifted back like it's funny you know it gets serialized for a while it gets more procedural but this but it's always secretly serialized even when it's procedural right so so uh, you took the the bold perhaps quirky move to uh, put your lead in a coma in episode one. Uh, um, uh, that obviously throws some challenges at you. Uh, how did the show evolve based on that? Like, wh- like he comes out of the coma. Well, he does I'd come out of the coma. And probably for writerly reasons at some point. Oh, my I, I God. Think. Well, for different... I mean, interestingly, the coma was something that came with the first iteration of the show before I was involved. And it was the... the uh, it came from the mind of John Krasank... <laughs> It's John Krasang's fault, and he didn't work on the show first season, but then he came on second season, and we were like, now fix it. Uh, But John's a great writer, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, after a while we ran out of things for him to do in the coma. How how did the love story survive with, you know, like, I mean, you you went a long time without those two actually physically... Uh, being together um, uh, d- was that a challenge? Like, I mean, obviously you can you can deflect it into different wa- into different areas, but at the heart of it, if he he she's in love with him, and it's an eternal love, uh, she's going to wait around at that coma like Lassie waiting for the uh, master we to had, come home. Right? We had a, a flashback in every episode in the first season, which was their former life, which I think was really so it became this like kind of thirteen snapshots of or twelve. He wakes up in episode twelve, but. Uh, of their their life together and and it worked i think it worked really well along with her sitting in the icu and like she was he was so present in the hospital because he was wandering the halls that yeah. i think it felt like they were like although they never played scenes together i think i feel like I, I, it felt like they were together it felt i felt like they were very connected in the first season and actually the challenge was keeping the con- them connected once he woke up that's interesting and that was actually the the harder part because there was so much intimacy to that longing and to the flashbacks. And when everyone's awake, it can, you know, you, you lose tension. Then you have to deal with the day-to-day, yeah. Yeah, well. So, so, so you did this um, um, 
this change at the end of season two, and and you know around around then you'd also moved. You know you had an American co partner with it. How how did that uh, all affect? Was that anything to do with it? Was it did the, did the nature of your relationship with the network have to change or alter when you were just working for um, CTV here in Canada? How did it go? Well, I mean, we had a good relationship with NBC until they canceled us. Uh, and, I mean, you know, it was, it's an, it's an extra set of notes we weren't getting, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think in a weird way we didn't think about it that much, you know? It did free one interesting thing up, which is that you can never have references to casual drug use on an American network. Right. And we had this thing all along where we wanted the character of Zach, played by Ben Ayers, to have been a stoner. In season one, we could never make it fly. And, and weird things like that, like there are no standards and practices in Canada, so you don't get notes. Like if you are on an American network, you get written notes about things that may convene you know, their standards and practices. And without those, it does actually free up areas of things that you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think about if you didn't get those notes. And the, and the surgeries could be way more gross. Like the surgery in episode 13, which Morwen wrote, is oh, I, I can't watch I can't watch the this finale surgery. I can't watch I, I love it. Adam does not like the gross stuff, but I love it. I it's punctuation. But they, NBC had given up on, on us by that point. And so we, if people didn't see it, we did what's called a scapulothoracic disarticulation, which is where a, a guy had flesh-eating disease, where you cut off basically a, a quarter of their chest as well as their arm. And we had Joel... Uh, the character played by Daniel Gillies, cut off the arm in surgery, carry it over to a bag and drop it in. Well, he just kind of throws the bag on it. <laughs> he just, just like throws the bag. It was the most disgusting thing, but it was the most, one of the things about working on a medical show, as you know, is it is actually fascinating, that stuff. And I'm very squeamish, but you, you get inured to it. And watching, we have this amazing uh, prosthetics guy named Francois Dagnet, who does all the prosthetics, and watching him and an actual, this brilliant orthopedic surgeon discuss how they're going to cut off this arm, you know, without ruining it. Was, it was fascinating to watch. It was really like, you, you think this is, a, this is a good job. Well, I, that episode in particular was was very interesting episode because you, you definitely changed gears uh, and did a, a, a really interesting version of a cliffhanger because you bring him out of his coma at that point and you also, uh, you know, think life is going to go ahead all swimmingly and, he, and there's this um, a new love interest enters his life only to be revealed that she's he's still seeing ghosts. I, I thought it was very well handled. It was very uh, um, it was a very interesting way to do a cliffhanger without being you know uh, you know blowing up the, lo uh, the the hospital to see who comes out the next year. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was great. It's it's funny you know like we do we're you know you you have to reset with a high concept thing. I think one of the things is you do have to. If not, you have to reset, but not destroy, you know? And we're trying to figure out how to do that for season three as well. If anyone has any ideas, <laughs> come by. <laughs> this is, that's a, uh, did you just offer jobs? Or, no, <laughs> what, what was that? <laughs> anyway, I think, uh, uh, just looking at this, it might be a good time to actually, you know, let's, let's put up a sh an episode, and we'll, we'll watch it, and, and then uh, we'll come back, and, we'll d and then we'll discuss how you actually do it. Because I, I think it's, when I, when I watch it, I go like, wow, this is, this is actually a lot of balls in the air, a lot of, uh, you know, when I watch it, going like, boy, how did you choose which, you know, your balance between A, B, C, D stories, uh, and uh, the research that went into it, and what's driving this, and how do you lay out your years? So I'd love to talk all about that stuff, but let's... Let's watch the show, and then we'll discuss uh, the nuts and bolts.
So, so, so which episode number is that? That's uh, 209, and that's our mid-season finale. So you divided the season in half, have you? Uh, we, the broadcaster divided the season. Actually, we thought that 10 would be our mid-season finale. Right. And then this ended up being it. But I, I love it. I love this episode. Written by Adam Peddle and Amanda Fahey. Yeah, it was very nice. Very nice script. I liked it. It, it was, uh, it was um, you know, the, as we were talking a bit before, which I think is maybe a good, good place to start, is like, how is how is the show constructed? Like like how do you actually divide it up uh, when you look at it as what are we trying to accomplish in an episode? Do you have a structure or a rule for an episode? Uh, how does it lay out? Yeah, there's an A, B, and C story. The A story is you know usually how many beats, how many scenes is like twelve to fifteen scenes, maybe sixteen scenes. The B story is eight to ten scenes, the C stories. If it's my episode, the C story takes over and becomes the A story. I'm kind of the king of three solid C stories. Adam likes three Cs. I like three Bs and a runner. Perfect. <laughs> uh, but Perfect. we are aiming for an A story, uh, B, C, sometimes a runner. But but David Wellington, who's also one of our executive producers, calls it the, the dreaded fourth story, which the, we often... We cut the dreaded fourth story often. But in this episode, we also, you know, we try to start like nuts and boltsy with, we try and think of what the three leads want, you know, what, what Alex, Joel, and Charlie want. And uh, we break in the room and we card the episode in the room, which was a very important part of our process this year. And uh, um, so we sit down, we, you know, like this episode, Die at Midnight, which is what we call that story was a story that we loved, loved, loved from the Which was beginning. a true story, actually, that Malcolm McCurry, I think his wife told him, or someone, I don't know. Was I thought Amanda, Amanda brought in the trampoline. No, it's Mal. Mal. It was Mal, that's right. Yeah. Someone came into an emergency and said, I'm going to die at midnight, and, and then ended up dying at midnight. It was, all the, it was all the story that Malcolm brought in, and we just loved the kind of, that it fit tonally with the show so well. So. But it was one we had to fight for. It was, one, it was definitely one we had to fight for, and... Uh, um, uh, Huel in the Wall we had to fight for. Um, and uh, we, this, in the mid-season, we had a bunch of episodes that, that got rearranged a little bit. But um, in this, the trampoline was something that we always knew we wanted. We loved that image so much. Um, we loved Huel in the Wall. We actually worked on that with an orthopedic surgeon <laughs> who uh, told us how it would all work. And, uh, but we, you know, we, we did break stories in the room so that when writers went off to write, they had... Uh, you know, they had 40-odd cards. Well, well actually, actually, why don't we back it up then and just and just talk, uh, walk through uh, for everyone here. How, um, what happens pre-season, before the room forms up? How, um, how much work do you and Adam do thinking about what the shape of the season is going to be? How do, how do you, how do you, what do you bring to the table prior to the room actually forming up? Well, this is the first season that Adam and I are working at exactly this configuration, and so we've just started thinking. And right now we have sort of a bunch of thoughts. We just meet and we think about things that could happen and, and things we'd like to see for the characters that we'd, we'd enjoy and find funny or moving. And so we're just thinking now. So, so uh, how big's your room? How many writers in it now? In general. Yeah. Well, we made 18 last year, so it was kind of a rolling, there was a rolling room. Did we have 10 writers? I think 10 total. 10 total, uh, but not everyone was there from start to finish. Some people came in at different times, but I think we had 10 writers. Right, and you have a, 
um, outside writers as well, or is it all sort of people who were in in the room at one point or another? We didn't have any like pure freelance. You no. know, we 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 kind of both feel that some time in the room is is necessary just to get a, a feel for the show. And um, so I think the shortest stint was four weeks. Four weeks. Did you did you tent pole the year? Did you have any? Big kind of Uber movement in in mind when you when you came in. Yes, yeah, we did. And 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 how like um, how does uh, story selection fit into that? Obviously, you guys must do a ton of research to try to to, to make these stories work. Yeah, I mean, we we like the medicine. The you know because the medical component of the show is so uh, it's unique even for a medical show because our our it, there's it's really uh, real, and the procedure is real, and you know, unlike Grey's or, um, but like the, it, it, we, and I think it's Morwin's, it's your taste, and it's also, I think where the show, when we fake it, it really kind of goes off the rails. But that's something we had to learn, you know, and we learned it first season. We had, a, uh, we had great researchers working with us, and, um, and we talked to doctors a lot. Like we, you know, we had doctors. We, we, for a glorious, glorious week, we had a doctor in the writing room. Um, this doctor who was an orthopedic resident who's now a full surgeon, and he was an unbelievable resource. Um, but what we learned from first season is that when we would um, sort of hand wave through the medicine, even in a pitch page, later on we would end up just suffering for it terribly. Um, and so we learned that the truth is our friend, you know? Like, we have to be dramatic sometimes, but to try and find drama within the truth um, always served the show. And because the show has ghosts in it, really, we have to establish a baseline of real reality, I think, in order to earn that. And I think what Morwen said, too, about the wants, you know, the kind of basic, simple, what does Alex want, what does Joel want, what does Charlie want? For me, it's what was so refreshing about coming to work with Morwen. There's a lot of talk about theme and vibe in, in television writing, which is, which is great and really works for some people. But coming from a, a theater background, I never, you know, theme was something that emerged and theme was never something that I, that I, th I was like, I know what I'm writing about. If I knew what I was writing about, I probably would have put it in the in, in things. So, so it was really refreshing to, to talk in terms of objective and wants and, you know, and, and and that's not to say that theme. I mean, some people really, they come at it from the theme of this episode is, and then all the stories branch out of that. We we do have themes, but we do. But, yeah. We Sometimes do. No, we do. I don't. I, I do. <laughs> you but do. You just don't, you know. But I think it But depends. I put them up on the board after the episode is written, you know, <laughs> Me like. Too. It, but, 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 so, so in an episode like this, for instance, you've got an image of a trampoline, you've got an idea about a death at midnight, and you, now did you, did, did you go searching through a bunch of medical research to find cases? How, how did, how did it, how did the story form up then? Well, we, Th there was another medical case for this episode that got kicked back. And um, once in a while, you know, in every show, it, it, even no matter, you know, we, we get very, very, very helpful and good notes from the network, and we're so grateful for them. And, you know, once in a while, things don't connect, and so you have to search for another story. And uh, so that this story was actually an, uh, another story that we found that wasn't our first story, but it ended up being, I think, much more successful than our first story and more emotional um, but you get to a point, I think when you work on any kind of show, you are always, 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 that's where your focus is. You're all, if you work on a cop show, all you see is the crime news. And if you work on a medical show, all you see is medical news. You know, like, 
you're always looking you know, for, for something like, there was a thing in the New York Times about the former Olympian skier, Bo, Bodie Miller, who's been, who was awarded custody of a fetus. And I thought, there's something in there that we can maybe do something with, you know? And you realize also, though, that everyone's reading the same things you are. And eventually, because, you know, of production and stuff, you, you see a lot of stuff on Grey's Anatomy, and you think, Daily Mail. <laughs> the story that got kicked back was on Grey's, I think, three or four months later, so <laughs> didn't get kicked back there. What? Yeah. Uh, so, so, so you've, um, it feels like a, you know, you're trying to obviously, and maybe without giving any spoilers away or whatever, but it feels like you're setting up obviously something between uh, Charlie and uh, the, the, the two guys and, and the, the, the love triangle is, is, is moving slightly. Um, now, is that is that a conscious shape that you're putting on on the on the year arc, uh, in, in in or is that something that's emerging as you're going through the year, going, well, there's an opportunity here. How are you? How flexible are you? I think I think we're both. It's good to have a superstructure. You know, it's good to have a clothesline to hang the sweaters on. But I think you you see you know where the chemistry is and what's working, and then you you do adjust. But I we I think we definitely had you know a plan that we adjusted as we went along. Right. So, so um, you, you've got your group of floating number of writers, X number of writers. Uh, um, you, do you sit down and break completely as a group, or do you, do you assign people, um, th- if you like this idea, run with it and come back with a number of beats? How does how's that process work? We, uh, as much as we could, we broke in the room. We would come in with, like, I like this Diet Midnight story, or I want to do a trans-gendered uh, uh, story. Um, we would write a pitch page uh, and then break based on the pitch page. We'd wait, no, we'd whiteboard on the pitch page. I think Katrina should answer this Katrina? question. Katrina <laughs> Seville, our story coordinator, who is basically a genius, uh, should answer this. I think we would, we would do a beat sheet before the pitch page. Oh, so you, so you actually beat it out before you pitched it to the networks? Well, we, there's a beat sheet. There's an outline, and then there's the first draft, and those are sort of the milestones of, that we have to hit. And uh, we would do beats because of the medical stories. You kind of have to know what you're doing a little bit before you write your pitch. You know, if it's a two-page pitch, you need some specifics. And uh, um, because otherwise, you you write your story and you think this will be awesome, and then the doctor will come in and say, "That's not even a medical thing." <laughs> and you'll be like, "Oh." Um, and the Googleitis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like a professional hypochondriac. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'm still afraid of needles. Uh, and then we would do, um, and then we would card before the writer went to outline because the outline is really the template for the draft, you know, in that way, although, although you have to be able to, to change from the outline into the draft, as you know. Um, but so we would, we would do that, but we always, you know, we talk about this and I think it's so important and something for everyone to think about is that the impulse of your script is phenomenally important. And everyone gets so many notes as things go along. But the impulse contained in the first draft is something that has to be protected because that's the thing that gives the show its spirit and its, its uh, feeling of life force, you know? And it, it, depending on the writer, that impulse will be really, really different. And when scripts fall apart is when the impulse is extracted. And so you have to give it over to the writer at a certain point so that there can be some unconscious writing that happens that isn't about people saying this happens, this happens, this happens. You know, it's the difference between plot points and something that has some 
something, some body underneath it. That's also really something, the, I mean, this is my first year as a, in, in this position, so, but you really notice as, exper as you gain experience as a television writer that sticking to an outline, you know, you go away with, with 50 cards and you have an, and then you write an outline that's approved by the network and, and then you often get a first draft in that is so, has, has stuck, has been so true to that outline because it's like the outline was approved so I'm not going to fuck with that. Like I'll just basically fill in the dialogue and, and there's something where the writer hasn't, where the heartbeat of the draft when you're reading a first draft of something and I think Morwen and I b both, if it's messy but there's a heartbeat there, if it, like I, I I would much rather read a script that is a bit of a mess, but that there's a heartbeat, and that it's a lot, and that it's surprising, and that you know, and so. But sometimes, and I think it's it's partly writing to an outline that does, you know, and I and I, you know, I got notes on my first Saving Hope script from Aaron Morwen that that I can still remember, and I only read them once. That were like it's flat, it's you know, it's the outline, it's why aren't you because because you need to feel still like a writer you know but but you're writing to this thing that's already 24 pages and you're and you're like I only have to deliver a 53 page script so I'll just you know uh, um and it's it's fear and it's like it's scary to go to draft and so I think sometimes the for me from outline to first draft is where you see experienced writers like John Grzank or will will deliver like he'll write a first draft and you'll go, that wasn't in the outline. John, where, where does, like, but it's so wonderful and surprising, and, and it's writing, you know? So, so just to, um, let's back up just a little step here. Um, your process is, is you, you research, you beat out, and from that you develop the two-page pitch that goes to the network for approval then? Well, we don't beat. We, we beat on a whiteboard. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And then we make a two-page pitch, yeah. And 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 um, what are you what are you actually selling there? Are you actually selling plot or or the character story? How how do you approach that? Because I, I think there's a real art, and obviously yeah. you've got a lot going on. Uh, a real art for that two page document, which I find a lot of writers struggle with. Well, mm -hmm. art is knowing what to leave out. I don't know who said that, but they were smart. Um, yeah, you're you have to focus. A pitch with too many details is bad news, and you're trying to focus on what is the story really for each character. So in terms of the medical research, it's not about, like, it's bad. Like, sometimes you write all, you're so excited by your medical research, you write it all, and it's impenetrable, you know? So a pitch is really saying, here's what happens to Alex, here's what happens to Charlie, here's what happens to Joel. And really, that's what you're trying to get across. And here's, here are, you know, we try for one exciting medical moment per episode. Per so, episode. Well, we try for more than one sometimes, but... As long as there's one thing that's a little hooky and grabby that we say it's because you know everyone's seen so many medical shows like ER and Grey's you know between them have done everything twice and so you're trying to think here's the thing that we found that we've learned about that we don't think we've seen before at least not from this perspective that's going to be exciting and or at least feel new and fresh and here's our medical moment that we're also putting in this pitch that is part of what happens to to the characters yeah and I think too like tracking Alex through those two pages as a short story like that the the point of view is always your lead you know driving that pitch page that I, I you know I feel like that's really at the end of the second season kind of became clear to me and but it takes a while to I think to learn how to 
separate those. Right, those right. So, so, um, uh, how many how many pages in general is a is a Saving Hope script? How many uh, scenes as well? A first draft under sixty. Under sixty. A first draft that people read. Um, we aim for between fifty six and fifty eight. Fifty six, fifty eight. And do you have a, a rule about uh, number of scenes or feel for that? Yeah, I mean, not over. 52. 52 scenes. 52, I think. Um, I think 52. You shoot in how many days? Seven. seven. Uh, with so a few. That usually there's two eight-day shoots. Two eight-day shoots. So 57 divided by uh, 52 divided by uh, seven is uh, six or seven strips a day, right? It's it. You'd think eight, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It somehow never quite works out that way. Uh. So, so um, uh, the reason I was going, just asking you a little bit about that is, uh, and, and we'll maybe touch on it a little bit further, but I, I was curious um, about the relationship uh, between, because uh, uh, I, I have you here to talk about, um, you know, working with someone like David Wellington. You've got a director and a very good director who's, who's available for you. And, and I thought, you know, like the image on the trampoline is a beautiful image, right? It, he's a, like a resource. How does... How does that resource affect how you guys are planning your your scripts, your year? Do you do you does he become part of the process saying visually I think you can do this or you guys are killing me with too many strips or, or, or are you gonna kill the director? Yeah. How's all that work? It it works in a bunch of different ways. You know, he's a very knowledgeable guy and we're very lucky, you know. He gives great notes and I think he comes at it from a from a different storytelling perspective. You know, and it's immensely valuable. It's immensely valuable visually in terms of just production and, and you know, things that we don't necessarily prioritize, you know. And, uh, and I mean, it's another, it's another person, you know, another person who's, he's, you know, he's an unbelievable director and he's highly invested in the show. And so it's, a, it's another collaborator and I, I feel like it's a, it's a great bonus to have a, a, a director who is, who is dedicated to your show to the show it's yeah. amazing yeah and he can also i mean we're, i mean i feel like i'm getting better at it but he can also look at an or an or sequence and know you know you say seven strips a day an or sequence maybe three strip like those those surgeries if they're overwritten or if they're you know if you're not choosing what we're showing in the or like he, he's really uh his dad's a doctor and he's you know, he fancies himself a doctor. As my dad's a doctor, and I fancy myself a doctor. My it's dad's a psychic. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so, so when you when you guys are actually writing the OR scenes, what level of detail are you in there? Have you got every beat in there so that it's bulletproof for for the crew when they go in there, or 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 how does that process work? I suspect we do. We do. We we rehearse, and we do pre-blocking on OR days, and we have a doctor there, mm-hmm. and sometimes more than a doctor, and we also have. Uh, uh, background performers who are actual nurses. And we rehearse everything, but, you know, it's amazing how, how specific you have to get, you know. And things that you wouldn't think were real issues for production, like, for instance, intubation, which is where they stick a tube down your throat, you know, so that you can breathe, is impossible, to, is really hard to fake. And if you, if you know this and you go back and you watch episodes of ER, you realize, oh, my God, you never see anyone actually get intubated. They cheat it. And it takes a lot of time, and you think do I really need to see this person intubated? Like, weird production concerns. You're thinking, do, what do we need to see? Like, for instance, cutting someone, showing the first incision of an operation requires an entirely different prosthetic from a, uh, for something where you start where the, the, with the field already retracted. And you learn this stuff, and you think, when you write, you know, 
Alex makes the first cut and blah, blah, and then retracts the patient and then cuts out this, slaps betadine down on the thing and then removes the spleen. And then, and then suddenly you have like four prosthetics and you're like, really, is this a good use of our yeah, time? And they're like, the character's a woman, so you can't show any breasts on top. So it's like, you, you have to make that character a man or not, or change it to a yeah. splenic injury. But what you really learn is like what's dramatic and things that seem dramatic, you know, like, oh my God, the spleen. And you're like, oh, the spleen's not as hot as you think it is. Like, <laughs> it sounds so foxy. And then you're like, oh, spleeny. <laughs> so, 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 um, so you, you have obviously become much more cagey about that as, as time has gone on. And you can sort of say, okay, eggheads, you know, no, don't go there, right? Or yeah, I think it's also, for me, it was mistaking medicine for drama. For me, it was like, okay, you found this incredible surgical sequence, so now I don't have to tell the story. Like, I, 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 this, this will be compelling, and it's not. Because if you're not hooked into what somebody wants, what, what one of our guys wants, and not even in our show, the guest stars kind of, like, it's got to be Alex or Charlie or Joel, it seems. And so it's like that what, what on the page or in the medical journal seems, like, totally foolproof. It's it's mistaken. And David's also really good for that. It's like, is, why is this dramatic? Why is this entertaining? Just because it's cutting into someone. It's a hospital show, right? I mean, for sure, this season so far, our most entertaining medical moment was a tumor that has eggs in it, these disgusting, like, slimy eggs that come out again and again and again. And that was something where you're just like, you see the real thing and you think, this, I've never seen this before. I never want to see it again. And there's stuff happening in the scene, but that's a great medical moment in the show but still something did have to be happening to and get there entertaining. Yeah. yeah so so okay so your your writers have gotten their uh 40 or 50 beats or whatever um you, uh, you what's the structure of the show is it uh, do you consider tease and tag or 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 how's that how's the show actually physically layout uh tease and five acts tease tease and five acts no no t no tag but the tease is quite long the tease is long, and sometimes the the last act is almost a tag. Right. I mean, I feel like the last act of a, of a show, if it's short, is basically decisions and kissing. <laughs> Very good. So, so as uh, and and um, what about act outs? Have you got um, uh, any hard fast rules about that? How do you guys approach that? We do have. I think we do actually. Push happy. No, push happy. No. Uh, one thing we learned is that a medical act out without um, an emotional or character imperative is not strong. You know, like the paddles, the kind of, which you go to as an actor because you think... He's coding. He's coding. It's, it's not great. Um, act uh, three is often our emotional act out, an act out that doesn't have any medical action. Um, but you do need, you know, for the first, you know, for the tease out and the first two acts, certainly you need a compelling reason uh, that is also procedural, usually, to come back. So how how would that have laid out um, just uh, in, in an actual episode, like a... Um, even tonight, if you could just walk walk people through that, because I think that I think that's a real art you've actually got there, because I, I, I feel your ex outs are really quite strong usually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always on Alex. The the act, the tease, and act one outs. I don't think we've ever gone off of. Mm. Have we? I don't know. <laughs> they all get changed around. Mm -hmm. One rule of writing for writing is that your act outs are never they never end up in the cut where you think they will often. Yeah, perfect. It's, that's it's, the other thing, David. So oh, you know, it's like it's all changed in them editing room anyway so but it but you also i mean i think of you usually the tease out you want to like you want to introduce like in the first season 
uh, often the tease was, there was a lot of like uh, in the ICU with Charlie in a coma, setting that up again. And our teases were slower. And uh, this season we tried to get the medical story, the, the fundamental, the A story started in the tease. And that was something we tried to do is go off the tease on like, with that at least started, if not that. And, but you know, you tried the tease out is probably the most interesting thing you have happening, you know, in either the A, B or C story. And, and how many pages do you, are you like five, six pages before you hit the, uh, the, the end of the tease or like? No, like no much longer. Like 12. 12 pages. Yeah. Okay, 12. there you go. First right. act is, I mean, the end of the first act is page 22 or 23. Wow. Yeah. 23, third act, 33. Nice. Fourth act, 44, 45. You know, we aim for like a, you know, your baseline is a nine page act. Nice. At least, right. at least nine to twelve. Right. So when you so your writers have have their beats, they have you know the know, know the structure of the of the piece in the head away. How um how long do you do you give them to sort of turn around their outline? <laughs> Come well, what, 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 what point of the year are we at? Yeah. <laughs> at if the beginning of the year? In the ideal uh, in the ideal world, two weeks to turn around. Ten days. Ten, ten days. Would ten, be days. <laughs> ten days. So, so ten days. So so two working weeks ish. Yeah. 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 So the so. Pro, so Outlines come back. You guys vet them, fe feed notes back to the guys. Yeah, we give we give notes. We've started giving written notes. Um, we give we like to give written notes embedded in the script because then you know you're talking specifics. You're not giving general notes. Like, it's I think for me as a writer, the thing that's hard to rewrite from is generalized feelings. Like I like act, I like the notes to be attached to something concrete in the script. And when you write notes embedded in the script, um, as long as you're you know you. Your notes are, are helpful notes. Um, it's, a, it's a good way to, to give notes. And then that, followed by talking about those notes, is often a good way to, it's a, it's a way we've evolved to work at. Are you, and, and are you both giving notes as well as the room, or how does, how does that work? We, the way we worked last year was I, we would amalgamate. So I would send Morwen my notes embedded in the script, and Morwen would usually amalgamate them, and we would send out one set of notes. Between, like we wouldn't send out two sets of no we try to I mean sometimes you would amalgamate but it, we would we Adam and I are both Luddites and we would sometimes sometimes we would write together sometimes um, we wouldn't but we could we couldn't understand why we couldn't like pour things from one computer to another I'm sure there's an app for that yeah the pour think about it um, but uh, we would speak with with one voice and and consolidate our notes because I think you you already get enough sets of notes you're getting network notes, our notes, other notes from other producers, and uh, it becomes too much. You know, you have to you have to figure out what notes you can address and prioritize, or the script will it, you stop having perspective. Do you do you open it back up to the room as well? Does the room feed back in, or is it once the writer goes away, kind of they just deal with with you guys? They, they will write notes, but we don't open it back up unless there's unless we need to rebreak it. Unless there's a problem. Okay, and so so the outline goes through as whatever. Hopefully, it goes through rather painlessly, and, and you get to go ahead on it. Um, how long to to write a to write a, a draft? Then it, it depends on the, where you are in the season. I mean, yeah. I think ten days, um, two weeks, two working weeks, and but then at the end of the season, a week. Yeah, so it's it's got to be turned around fast. Yeah, right, and and then, and then it goes through the, through the uh, does it go through a final vetting process with your medical cook? Uh, medical staff? Yes. Yeah, there's a medical meeting, um, which is a lengthy meeting on the second day of prep usually, um, where Karen, Karen Moore, who's also here, who is our amazing medical researcher, 
would would be there and there'd be two doctors at least there and and the medical notes from that meeting were usually quite extensive but usually but not you know hopefully not like they were go through the script and write the medical notes okay so so um it, it, uh, the, the script uh, has been um, has been uh, uh, goes to goes to the floor. Do 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 any writers go with it? Do you do you have a writer uh, on set with the, with their script then? Yes, uh, the the writers go in and they prep and they they are on set for their scripts. And and um, do do they are they um, are they rewriting on the sp on, on set or is that something that comes back through you guys or negotiate negotiated or um, both. It uh, it really is is it depends you know it depends on whether they're pages or they're just changes on the floor, right? And do they get to go to the editing uh, process as well, or or do they after it's shot it kind of goes off and then, then it becomes your baby again? Uh, yeah, no, n not really. No, I mean the the advantage. I mean, given our post schedule, especially, but you know, editing. You know, David David Wellington is is sort of takes takes things over from there, and then the 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 things go back. But we and then we see cuts. Right, great. So, um, just uh, before I turn back to the floor, I, I just thought you know many many of our writers too is so we've talked about the, sh the main body of the show and, and kind of the mechanics of that. Uh, what's happening out there in the ancillary worlds, especially the digital world, where we uh, have a whole a whole other life for our TV series these days? Um, um, are, uh, are you guys involved with that as well, or is your story department involved? They we just found out that Katrina and Karen, who are here, just are nominated for a Digi. And Amanda for the yeah. uh, for the webisodes. Way to go! And uh, the yeah, I love the webisodes on our show. I do too. I really do. We don't. What we? I don't. Um, tweet, 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 tweet. Neither of us tweet or are on Facebook. But but we should be. We should be, but we probably won't be. Um, but the uh, the webisodes are, um, I think they're so funny and so great and very sexy, and they became a place where we would put. I mean. They had their own sort of, there was a parallel webisode story room. And uh, we would read things once they sort of became episodes. But uh, they were a place where we put um, great moments that we couldn't fit into the series. But they also had their own creative genesis. And, and they really, they were, they were sort of a, a wonderful surprise to us. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I, lo I love them. I think they're great. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, guys... Uh, I think it's a good time if if people have questions. Anybody want to um, ask questions? There is a microphone so that uh, um, our people listening to the podcast can hear the questions. And and if you're way away from it, I'll just uh, uh, rephrase it so the people listening at home can uh, hear as well. Uh, any questions? Anything for the guys? You saw a hand move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, I, um, it was actually funny the story. Well, the, the the I was in a prep meeting with Jeff Wolna, who's the director, and he was looking at pictures of stunt people to play Huel, and he was like, "They're all so built. They're also like huge and built and in good shape. I need someone who looks like a junk. I need someone who looks like you, like who, who looks like a junkie." And I was like, "Wow! Like I'll do it because I I was a competitive gymnast when I was 13 years old or something. I'm I'm really not um, that anymore. But I was preloaded. I was upside down. I was in a handstand. There's two very um, trustworthy crew guys holding my legs, 
and there was two pieces of wall. So I did a handstand on a bar, yeah. and then they sh they closed in the second wall. They held onto my legs. Then they let go of my legs, like, you know, three seconds before he called action for me to, to come through. One take, because that's all I had in me. I'm 40 years old. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and did Dan were you in there when Daniel was sawing? In the rehearsal, he sawed like he's you know we we did a we did a rehearsal day too. Perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone else? Okay. Well, well, I'll go. Feel free just to 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 you know call out or shout out as we're talking here. Um, I'd like to go back to then then the big concepts of the show um, because I think uh, you know. Um, as it evolves, uh, you know, one of the hard, hardest things I've I've always felt about any show is, you know, keeping keeping a, a grasp on on actually what it is, and, and and this show has to me a lot of challenges. And I, I want to like, what what is your thought process? How do you choose what what is saving hope and what is what is not? That would be a you know Grey's Anatomy or this is some other show. This isn't isn't saving hope what's what's driving it I don't know I mean I think some of it is instinct and you think this feels like the show and you know there are inevitably you know we made 18 last year inevitably there are things where you think maybe that wasn't like quite tonally the show but you know it, it still is good um I don't know you know it's it's a it's an interesting thing you know like somehow things that are gory are the show things that are like super that are gritty in a sort of I don't know, although we've had gritty things on the show yeah, too. Yeah, and romantic, you know like Morwen will often say in the room like it, it can't be too romantic the show can't be too romantic, it, it feels like there's an emotional I mean hopefully it's any show, but the, the, there's an emotional truth to to the episodes that when you feel, and it was also what Morwen was saying about a writer being connected to what they're, to what they're writing about, that it's not you know, just the that that medical that that case of the week that it is that there is a, a kind of an emotional truth to to it you know and every show I think has a range of tones that it supports like the X-Files I always think is an interesting example um, because sometimes that show was super serialized and sometimes it was super alieny and sometimes it was very funny and you think like within the 18 episodes y you can have different you know we had a road trip episode you know we had you, you think like what are what are the permutations of the feeling of the show that we can do that stretch it but are true to it and that are funny? And I think of shows that have, you know, that have evolved well. And I, in the high concept, you know, for us, the, a big lesson for us was in, in season one, episode two, we had this thing we called Ghost Mother. And there was a version of the script um, where uh, Charlie is, like, looking in episode one, there's a little boy that becomes a ghost. And he's... Uh, he sees the little boy, and there was a version where, I think it was the blue, where uh, uh, the a ghost woman comes and grabs the little boy, and Charlie chases after the woman. And we had a big network call where they were like, is this the show? And we were like, it's probably not the show. You know, like when the show gets too supernatural in that way, like we always felt that we were not going to... Um, have a sort of ghost hospital, like what is the cosmology of the show in terms of the high concept? And how do we, 
reinvent it, but keep it true to the mythology. And a show that was actually very good at that in its good seasons was Lost, for instance. Like, it's always the show, but there's cool permutations of the show. And I think we're trying to figure out what that is for, for, for our show. But it is really difficult, you know, and part of it is just a gut connection. And, and But we do make rules, but I think we've forgotten them. And I think also writing about, reading about doctors, like they're, they're young, you know, young 30-something people doing their job. And so it's also like for me, you know, and maybe it's, you know, I watched, well, I was a kid when my dad was in his late 30s as a doctor. And like it's, it's those stories to the professional um, pressures and, and kind of struggles of, of the, that profession that I think to, for, for me, the show, if, if you keep going, if we keep going back to that, like they're doctors, so, so it's always a good thing for me to go back to, to, to reading about like people that become doctors and doctor stories. And it's also great in the room because you have writers who connect with different characters. And, you know, one of my favorite stories, and it hasn't aired yet, features a guinea pig. And this was the only story, it's a sea story, and it's the only story that ended up in the show uh, basically as it was conceived completely and was, like, note-free the entire time. And, uh, and it's the sweetest, most lovely, charming story about a guinea pig, and yet it is completely tonally within the range of the... Of the of the show, it's I like know. everyone was expecting someone else to cut it, so no one noted it because they're like, "Well, someone else is gonna that's gonna get cut for sure." So I don't even have to <laughs> just leave Valenween alone. You I know, know but Valenween, man, Valenween. So you never know. It's 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 a weird thing, and you also have to feel like people are. I don't know if people are afraid to be idiosyncratic. I, I we try and run a very collaborative room. I mean, I know you read like all the stories and and like the stories of like David Chase and the stories of people coming in and quaking and being afraid. And I, I think you do like you're always unpopular when you're giving notes and you're always unpopular when you're rewriting and you're always unpopular when you're cutting things. And it's so brutal to get rewritten and it's so brutal to have your ideas, you know, you know, thrown out or whatever. But we try to create an atmosphere where people will come in and say, you know, like I think the inspiration for Valenween was, I think I went in and I said, I said. Uh, mouse hotel that mouse hospital because i'd read in the new york times about a hospital for mice and i thought there's something in this but it wasn't mouse hotel which was a terrible idea and then you know other people came up with valenry i think juanita storms and jeremy larouche and aubrey nealon had a lot to do with that and i'm sure many many other people but you have to be able to say mouse hotel in the room in order to get to the awesome guinea pig and i think you know, that's, that's part of the thing that is the tone of the show, too, is, is thinking, you know, it can stretch, it can bend, and, and we can keep it together. Well, I, re I remember in the, I think, was if, if, if Murdoch was the last uh, uh, writer's talking television that Peter Mitchell uh, mentioned that, you know, basically he's paid for his taste. And I think people took that the wrong way because they, they felt it, it was a kind of a, a sort of a, you know, a, you know offhanded kind of high-handed thing. But I think what he was seemed to be getting at to me was that somehow you have an innate you know f feeling and and you fumble around with it and and you know what's right or not right and it's it's kind of that you know being able to keep you know keep that sensibility uh throughout um throughout the course of the madness that you're going to face yeah and it's really hard to talk about like it's really hard to talk about with network it's really hard to talk about because it's drama, it's writing drama, and it's not perfect, and it doesn't, sometimes it's not right, and sometimes, do you know, so it's really hard to defend, I find it very hard to defend 
this will work. I know. It, and sometimes you just have to say, I feel in my heart this will work. Which Marwin says all the time. I say it all the time to the point where now it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> um, but I do feel in my heart that things can work. And we both do. And I think you also, I mean, you have to learn. One of the things that I found really hard to learn is how to talk about my ideas in ways that aren't either dry or flaky and that communicate the sense of the idea as opposed to the literalness of the idea because when people, when you say, okay, there's this woman and she believes she's going to die at midnight and she and Charlie go through something together and then she does die and then Charlie jumps on the trampoline and then the network is not going to say, oh, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> that's the greatest idea I've ever heard, you know. But then when they see it in the execution, it can change, you know. And often things can change too uh, in the read-through, you know, and scripts don't always go to the read-through in their best iteration, which is hard often for the writer. But when it does go to the read-through with, um, with the right actors and in its best iteration, things that can have not seemed correct on the page sometimes will, will flower and appear. And it's, it's very hard sometimes to communicate what will work. You have to just sort of feel, feel that it will. Do you, do you have uh, your read-through the day before or two days before uh, it, it hits the floor? Do you have just a, a big midnight uh, oil session afterwards getting it out, or how do, you do, how do you handle that? It's usually like two or three days before, you know, maybe it'll be Thursday and I'll go to camera on Monday for that. But like, you know, sometimes you have a weekend and sometimes you have two nice days. nice if you do. Yeah. So, so, so you, you, um, you guys are both living the dream now, right? You're both doing the, sh the showrunners. So has it I have shingles. I, no, I had shingles. No, they're, they're gone, but... Which I diagnosed, by the way. It could be a... Which Marwin diagnosed. <laughs> episode. episode. Adam was his own episode. Living the dream with and shingles. I know, and you kept showing them to everyone. That was the best part. So, so, so what was it like? I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's kind of a step that, you know, we, we hear a lot about as writers and about the importance of a writer as showrunner and being able to see your vision through. But, but, but what's your experience been like? Uh, um, I, I guess, Adam, it's, it's your first time you've, you, you're there, so you've got one opinion on it. So, and then more when this is twice for you in a, w in a funny way because you've created something. So uh, I don't know. That, you know what, do you, what do you think, Adam? Is I, it, um, is, uh, I, I think uh, it's been... I'm, I'm so grateful to have Morwen as a partner. And I feel like as a staff writer, I think you inevitably get to a point where you're like, I could do that job and I can do that job and I can do that job better than, like not better than, but I think you, you get to a place where until you do it, and I feel like I had no idea how different being a staff writer and being a showrunner is. And it's very different because the you're never not thinking about the show and you're never not working as a showrunner, as a co-showrunner and as a staff writer that you go to work and work really hard and break that episode. But if it's not, if you're not up or you're not on deck, there is, not that you're coasting, but you're not going home and working from eight till midnight or eight till one in the morning every night, you know? So the, how, how different it was, was surprising to me. How, um, I loved the, I love the management part of it, like the putting a room together and trying to make sure that the room is happy and um, having you know I think I played a lot of competitive sports growing up and I think having a, having a happy team and knowing when the team needs like a break or a present or a you know like I I feel like that part of it I really I I really love because I because I I, I, th I feel like the having a winning season 
is based on this group of people you put together and people playing different roles and you know and I, and I really really loved loved that part of it. Right. So that and that surprised me too. Mormon, you, you I mean I mean this is like you get to uh, I'm rookie you were never uh, show running, right? No, 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 no. So I mean, now you've stepped into the chair with your create. It's, it's really different, you know. I mean, but I feel like I learned a lot, you know. And I mean, uh, you know, Tassie Cameron is a great showrunner, and uh, and that's a you know it's a great place to to watch the watch a show be created. And I think, I don't know, you know, it's interesting. I think it's, I think what's interesting is you is the relentlessness of the work and the relentlessness of the thinking. Um, which is I and and the weird balance of practicality and freedom that you have to have, and I think that's the thing that people don't think about. But I think it's inherent. It's the it's the inherent paradox of screenwriting is to be free in your mind, but to make something you can do, and then you have to learn not to say no to yourself, and uh, and you have to do it all all the time and very fast, mm -hmm. and it's a really interesting job. It's a it's a sort of total immersion. In, in the world of a, of a, of a you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a year of creative imagining in the most intense way. And, you know, coming from being a playwright where I, I, I had a lot of leisure time and I thought my own thoughts, yeah. you know, and 200 people would show up and see the play and, and I'd be like, oh, full house, that's awesome. And I like, I, I, when I started writing plays, there was a, a I, during one um, tech dress, which means there's an audience in the house, I lay in the back of the theater with a hood over my head, rocking back and forth, crying, no, no. And I just think like the evolution from that to, to just sitting down every night, you know, when, the, when my kids go to bed and writing for four hours and then getting up and feeling like I can do that is, is it's, it's, it's the most interesting creative job I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'll just stop again. Yeah, any questions? Yes. So, so question is uh, arcs and characters season by season, or, or are you writing a, 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 a um, uh, have you got everything figured out ahead of time? We have. We do not have everything figured out. We have some thoughts for where things will end up, but we don't have everything figured out. But then the arcing this season, the arcing this season, we do have ten poles. We will work to have, you know, this will happen around episode three or four. This will happen around episode seven or eight, you know, so, but it'll be season by season. Yeah. We're not like Breaking Bad where it's like, I know in, at the end of season five or whatever that. Although you do have, you, you did come in with some images of what might, the end of this, of this like you you do have some thoughts I have some thoughts um, no I mean it's also you don't know how many seasons you're going to get right you know like it's you know when we got cancelled off NBC you know CTV was so supportive and, and we had an audience and I thought oh great you know and then when we got another season we thought you know we I think I think it's fair to say we've written every season as though we feel it will be the last have you been um, sort of wrapping it up and then having to unwrap it again is that what's, what's happening? No, I think we try and make an ending for, we've tried to make an ending for the first two seasons that would be satisfying as an ending or as a, or as a not ending. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Clever. <laughs> Other questions? Yes.
So, so the question is, how do how do you um, keep focused with uh, just about everything else that you could do other than write? Uh, I had to take hearts off of my hearts gun. So, like, I'm such a luddite. I had hearts on my computer. Um, I'm not on Facebook, but I, I I had to take off the. It's basically a typewriter, and I and children for me really helped that because the the amount of work I can do now and or that I have to do now and it's not even four hours because someone's going to wake up or someone's going to you know, need a glass of water or something. So it's like those that time becomes so... Like I didn't know how much you could do in an hour and a half. Have some kids. Yeah, I, I also have young kids. And uh, yeah, have children. Be, don't understand technology. Um, I also don't tweet and I'm not on Facebook. And, uh, but I find also it's just a muscle. It's just a muscle. I mean, you have to write faster. You do write faster, and you find a free space in your mind. I weirdly, I we both listen to music sometimes when we write, and I will sometimes. It sounds so flaky. It's a ridiculous tip, but I'll listen to, I, when I'm writing particular things, I'll listen to the same thing, just as almost like a like, like there's a thing called hypnotic induction. There are different ways to induce people into hypnosis, and sometimes listening to music, it's a way of saying, oh, now you're doing this, you know, and it's ridiculous, but. For me, it's an Adele song. I know. You're all like Adele. And I was Googling that one Adele song. I had one like Led Zeppelin YouTube thing that I listened to again and again when I could get Wi-Fi. I don't even, I don't even have like iTunes. And uh, <laughs> this is so sad. But it's also true, I think, that you just, when you have to do it, you do it. So you'll just do it. Anyone else? Yes. So, so just to for the, again for people at home, um, I, th I guess I guess what Scott's asking is, is um, you know, you fall in love with with basically uh, the soul of your script, and then the plot has to change, and 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 what happens? How do I you deal? Morwin, I've learned a lot working with Morwin in that regard because I feel like Morwin, one of her many superpowers is like a script like Sherry White. I don't know if anyone knows Sherry White, who's a brilliant, brilliant screenwriter. Will deliver a, a script, a first draft that is, like, it has Sherry White all over it, which is so great, and and it's it's the most entertaining, funny, um, soulful read, and then more, but Morwen has a great way of, of, and I don't know what she does, but it's, well, she's listening to Led Zeppelin, but, um, so of, sad. like, of maintaining the integrity of, of that, of, of that writer and, and, and the impulse, but making making it into a, a saving home. I, I feel like there are some times, and I've delivered scripts, not maybe not in saving home, but as a staff writer, where it's been too much, not too much, uh, 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 where I've written it in my the way that I would write Combat Hospital, or, you know, like, if it was my show, I would write it like, here's my first draft. And, yeah. But, yeah. but some of that, you know, I mean, that's one reason why you break in the room. So that people go off and you're saying, here are your signposts of the things that happen. So that people don't go off and write a script where they, they radically diverge from the plot. Which I know when I started writing, I did. Like, I'd come back in and I'd be like, I thought of this. And people would be like, what? Um, but I think part of it is, you know, you're, 
part of you know the this job is to is to is to say okay is this the voice of the show or is this not the voice of the show but it's also to let in things that have life that maybe you don't think can belong in the show but then to say like maybe this is kind of like actually this is kind of awesome it's such a weird it's such a weird thing cuz you want the writer to give them to you want to get a draft from the writer that contains all of the writer's ideas and then sometimes you just have to write with an eraser because it's better to get too much than too little and we had a situation actually where um, in episode 211, where um, Adam created this amazing character who was the soul of the episode. And then we had a location, a reality, where we could not get the location. We were going to send our characters to another hospital. We couldn't do it. And there was no way to keep that character in the episode. And we had to kill the character. And then we had to completely rewrite the A story because that was the only, not the only, but it was the, in the, of the A story, that was the living impulse. And without that character, we had nothing. And so it is a really, it's a, it's a tremendously weird that's balance. That's when I got the shingles, I think that's when I You did get, no, you had a new baby. Then I got the shingles. That's ra a radical thing to do. To get, get the shingles? No, to get writing. Oh. I had, had another baby just to get over this writer's block. Yeah. <laughs> it's an expensive way to do it. Any other questions? Yes. I think it really depends. I wish there was a hard and fast rule. I mean, so I'll just say again, just just for home, is just that the uh, uh, question was uh, how much rewriting happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hopefully as little as possible. Yeah. But yeah, it just yeah totally depends on on the script. Yeah, and it's not you know you rewrite for different reasons. It's not like I know like I remember uh, writing on shows and feeling like every time I was being rewritten, it was a kind of judgment on my you know on my entire you know being. Uh, but it's not. You rewrite for all kinds of different reasons, but ideally with a with a light touch. And, and any other questions? Yep. So this is uh, surprises. What 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 surprises you at the read through? Television read throughs. Okay, I got to talk a little bit about television. No, no, no. Well, no, no. Go ahead. No, you must. You have the to. The surprising thing for me is sometimes you can't hear the line. Uh, sometimes people don't read the lines; they're there, and you can't hear them when they do. No, the most surprising thing for me sometimes is that the the um, sometimes the reads, the read-throughs, depending on the read-through, can really throw the writing, like throw you into midnight sessions of rewriting based on the actors are reading on their lunch after they've worked for. 12 hours, that, or they're, they've, they're at the end of whatever episode they're shooting, like, and they have a mouthful of broccoli. And so the read-throughs for me are not the most informative, unlike in the theater where I feel like read-throughs and workshops are approached in a different way. I feel like in television, I've, and I've questioned why we do them in TV, because I'm not sure it's for the, uh, it's for the right, I don't know who it's for. But it really... But that's me. No, but I... I agree. I, although I also think that sometimes the read-throughs are helpful. I, it's such a weird thing. I mean, you do them because it's the one moment where everybody's in the room together with the script. And sometimes when you hear things, it, things can be a revelation. And, you know, we're not my way or the highway with, um, like, sometimes actors bring things and you think, oh, this is great. Like, we know, like, in drafts, we habitually write, like, for, for Joel, 
Joel, you know, Daniel's an actor and Joel the character can handle a long sentence. And often we'll, in the read-throughs, we'll be like, damn, we've been writing short sentences again. What are we thinking? Like, write it long, you know? Erica's very funny, you know? And so it's great when she can, like, make something sing in a read-through. You think, ah, oh, like, we can push this further or whatever. And I think you have to be attentive, but you also have to think that the read-through, it's information and it's not a performance. And in the theater, you know, actors view a read-through in a much more structured way and it is a kind of performance. And for us... You know, in TV, it's information, and sometimes that information is amazing, and sometimes that it's you don't get the information because everyone's exhausted, or because you're reading the wrong draft of the script. Um, but you have to prioritize prioritize a little in a read through as well, and think like, what am I trying to hear in this read through? And sometimes, like, you just pick one story and think, I'm li I'm listening for that, you know. But it's very nerve wracking. It's a big table. It's all these people. But it, and it is also the culture of the com like you know, I worked with Greg Spottiswood on King, who had a very He's an actor, and I think, and he asked that actors act at the read-throughs, not change. Like it, it's also the culture set by whatever show you're working on. I think for how sometimes how those read-throughs go. Yeah, I think you know. I think it it really depends. I think it really depends. I mean, I like read-throughs. I believe in them. I think you know sometimes you see things and you see the crackle of things. And when a read-through is well cast, it's very satisfying. You know, I mean, I know when we saw we had a in episode two hundred eight we had a story between Michael Shanks and Alan, Alan Van Sprang was our guest uh, star. And I had been like, oh, there's too many words in this story. There's too many words. There's too many words. And then when we saw the read-through, I was like, man, these guys are on fire. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, you know? Or like Sergio Dezio, who's in the same episode, who's really a fine actor. And you think, oh, it's going to be okay, you know? Guinea pig's going to be okay. So it really, really depends. It can be either very frustrating, and I've never, ever had a read-through that I, I didn't feel sick for. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you sometimes, uh, though, discover, uh, you know, that, like there's the, the, uh, there's the reading of the lines that you're listening to, and then there's the internal structure, or it's like, holy, you know, this doesn't actually, like, this shouldn't be here, this should be there kind of moments. Because you're, you're actually, it's one of the first times you must hear it as, as a complete entity, like an A, a, a to Z, uh, you know, if you're wa if you're visualizing it as you as you're listening to it, you know, it's the first time you s you really see the thing as a as a finished yeah. piece, right? I mean, if it's a if it's a read through where it, it, you have a the cast is there and it's all good, um, one of the things that I I look for is often in notes you are asked to make moments more explicit, um, like mo emotional moments between people, and so the moments become moments piled upon moments. And, you know, moments that you didn't write because you thought we don't need this moment. And then you realize that moments that used to add up, often in casting, no longer add up because you've added so many moments. Yeah. And that's something I always notice. I'm always like, oh, we took too many notes. And now the read-through wasn't as good as it could have been, and we got to erase all that. It's kind of like you're getting notes on, like, it's weird to get notes as a writer on a cold read. So you're getting notes on an actor's cold read of something, but it's, always, it's only, it's the writing that's, being noted right so it's, a weird, you know. it's you know it's crazy it's also your public unveiling like you work for a long time you work by yourself you're with the writers you know and then it's out in the world and it's also when it's being pried out of your hand and then it's going down you know and and then it's going to be a whole lively thing and i feel like it is actually an emotional moment as a writer yeah well i think i think that it shows in the show like i mean you know some shows get uh, you know we used to call it embalmed you know where, where it's just like they shoved fluid into everything so just you know, your show just got puffed up and, and <laughs> didn't have any, any, you know, nothing was pliable left in it. Nothing was, no, no moment popped and goes like, that's memorable, right? Because everything got elevated and, or, 
uh, or, or, um, or reduced to a certain homogenous kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's a problem. And I, I yeah. think the show pops. You know, I, I like the pops in it, and, and I, think, I think it really feels so. So I think it, it works for you guys, you know? Um, sorry, any more questions? So let's go back to something else then, which is, um, uh, you know, we're, we're basically going to wrap up, I think, uh, uh, here. But but um, I just wanted final thoughts. What do you think about? I'm sure a lot of people want to know about um, um, advice for getting into the business, um, f advice for moving forward in the business, and um, you know, any thoughts you might have on on uh, on that on that for for um, people listening out there. I would say, I mean, I think a lot about, like, you know, like, I, I used to think as a playwright that the one, your one job as a writer was to not become bitter. And I, I sometimes still feel that that's true, you know. I, I feel like uh, there's, a, there's a story, and I don't know if it's true, that they did some statistical analysis of Oscar winners and how Oscar winners versus Oscar nominees, and then in every category, Oscar winners live longer than Oscar nominees, except screenwriters. Which makes me believe that screenwriters are impervious to success. <laughs> so I feel like you have to have something in you that comes from a place that you really, really want to, you, you want to write from a place. And one of the things that makes Adam Petal a, a great writer is that there's immense joy in every uh, scene. And, you know, I, there was a point this year where Adam was rewriting one night, end of a very, very long week, writing literally all night and the draft came back and it was lively and it was funny and it was real and it had a great heart and that's because it's written from a place of 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 a real uh, joy in communication that's not just about um about making a, a, a product or having outward recognition it comes from a deep place of truth and and love of this craft and this art and i think i think that in order to 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 truly keep doing it, you have to come from that place because it, it can otherwise you 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 will not feel happy. Right. Um, Thanks, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree, and, and and just to keep writing. Oh, sorry, just to keep writing. Like, um, whether you're in a room or not in a like for me, you know, we both went to the National Theater School and, and through the writing program where. We're writing every day, you know, it be, it became such a practice, and 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 the muscle got so built up that it felt weird, and it feels weird now. I've been off, we've been off for six weeks, two months, and I haven't been writing, and it feels now it feels really weird, and like I need the time, and I need to refuel, and I need to see my family, but but just to keep keep writing, even if no one, if you're not in a room, and if you're not like. Because I, I feel like the pr the practice of it and the physical action of it will like that that you just could, you just have to keep exercising the muscle. Right. So and Mormon, uh, just just you know this is uh, this is two shows you've been involved with now that that, that have both uh, not only made it to air but done very well uh, on air. So I, I just you know like we're we're all trying to push her. Our series ideas, our idea forward. Um, you know, what do you think? Um, what do you think people connected with? Why did, uh, why did, 
what was it that made the projects go forward and 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 why people watched them and 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 have uh you know what what lessons have you learned on on that front for people trying to get their series going forward is there anything you can offer um from a i mean i think casting is incredibly important which is something that uh um you know i can't take credit for but i i really believe it but i think from a writing standpoint what helps is a is a real um a specific kind of relentlessness and a willingness to stay engaged with the material in a in a in an honest way and uh i don't know you know i mean i think you know there's the thing if you need a log line that things should be you know identifiable i think i think following trends is not a good idea i think trying to find um an honest and and new approach to something that feels like it's about a a, a universal um, dilemma that people have in some way is is good, but I I I don't know. You know, I mean, it's very lucky. It's a kind of alchemy, and and uh, and I I feel I feel very lucky to have been involved in 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 two things that have done well. But I I really think as a writer, just relentlessness, just keep at it. Well, great. Is if there's any final questions, so yeah. So the question is, uh, how much influence do you have over um, the directors you ha that you have working for you, and um, and uh, how are you liking what what they're putting on the screen for you? Um, I think you know because we work with a an executive producer director, which is a model that many different people have. Um, um, we're not you know he has much more influence on that. David does because you know that's his area of expertise. I think certainly some episodes you think. There, there's a good alchemy between the the writer and the director, and we've been lucky. We've had some great, great directors on the show, and uh, I mean, I don't know. It's it's I don't know what to say. I, it's hard to have a blanket thing. It's very satisfying when a collaboration with a director works. It's the most satisfying thing in the world, you know. And and even when it doesn't, at least on our show, I feel like we've always been able to tell the story as well. And I I, I feel like we've been very, very lucky. We've worked with with great directors, um, um, but for sure, you know. It, it's important. It's very, very important, you know. And it's important to, you know, we collaborate with the directors in in uh, prep, and we get notes. We get, you know, we we work with them so that we know that that they feel that they can also invest in the show, and uh, and it's an important part of the process. Thank you very much, Mo, and thank, thank you. you thank you very thank much. You, thank you, Cal. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. And you can email us at writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please log on to iTunes and leave us positive feedback to help increase the profile of the show. This podcast is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada. The show's technical producer is Philip Vukovic. I'm Cal Coons. Thanks for listening. <laughs>